0: Luke chapter 4. Found a connection between Elijah, Moses, Jesus, and the fasting that they all did. And here we are in Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Stop right there. Jesus is the Son of God. Would we all agree that Jesus is the Son of God? Why would Jesus, who is the Son of God, need to be full of another portion of the Godhead? Why would Jesus need to be full of the Holy Ghost? We'll answer that in a moment. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil... We talked about this last Sunday night. I want to back up even further just for a second and look again, some at the humanity of Christ, some at the prayer life of Christ, but then I want to talk about for just a few minutes what it means to be married, what it means to be married, and the fact that the marriage that prays together stays together. The marriage that prays together stays together. If you're here and you're young and you're still waiting for the Lord to send the right person for you to marry, then this is an opportunity for you to pray and to ask God to send you the right person to marry. Who you marry, who you uh, yoke up with, where the two become one, this incredible union that God has made. When that moment happens, it's a very holy moment, a precious moment, but I want to talk to you about that for just a minute. We'll look at this uh, in, in a few different ways. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, verse number one tells us. Now, what had just happened in Jordan? Who can tell me tonight? The baptism. Yes, sir. The baptism of our Lord and Savior. And what happens at the baptism is the confirmation We see the deity on display, God the Father, God the Holy Ghost, and God the Son standing in the water with John the Baptist. We talked about that, that this instantly, this one moment in our New Testament disproves modalism, that we are Trinitarian for a reason, because the Bible proves it to be so. There is one God with three distinct personalities, three distinct persons Not that it's one God who can only be in that personality at one time in one form. Uh, That's a a form of heresy. That's false teaching. We see that here. Uh, Okay, so then we come out of this incredible moment, this incredible victory at uh, Bethabara, at the Jordan River. And in that moment... The deity is confirmed even further. There's more confirmation. And then Jesus goes from this mountaintop, if you will, experience, spiritually speaking, and instantly is met head on with uh, spiritual warfare, with an attack. There's an element there that we're gonna talk about tonight some. You need to understand, you need to know that after great victory, after God moves in a service like he did here this morning, Uh, what you'll find often is that Satan will attempt to rob you of the joy, to rob you of the victory of what happened even today. My hardest day as a pastor is Monday. Monday. It's the most difficult day I face in the week. You say, I thought it was Sunday. No, no, no. Monday is the most difficult day I face. That's the day of doubt. That's the day of second guessing. That's the day that I find the enemy loves to bring up things where I fell short as a human being. Uh, Monday is always a tough day because it points to your humanity. It points to the fact that you could have done more, you could have done better. It's, it's such an in-your-face day because the human side of us, wants to always review, critique ourselves. What could we have done more? What could we have done different? And that's not biblical. I'm doing it not for me and for the glory that I receive, but I do what I do on Sunday for the glory of God. And so I put that in his hand. But notice this temptation of Jesus right after the baptism. And if you go through the New Testament, you'll see that as a pattern. Even after the transfiguration of Jesus, Right as they come down the mountain, they run into a person who is possessed by a devil, an evil, unclean spirit. It's instantaneous. After the feeding of the 5,000, what follows? Devils, evil spirits. And now Jesus is in the desert, tempted by Satan, for 40 days. Now, in this, what we're seeing and what we talked about a little bit Sunday night last week The temptation of the Lord Jesus can only be understand if we understand that Jesus is truly all God and all man and that we have to rightly divide the humanity of Christ from the deity of Christ. Amen. If Jesus is all God, that portion of our Christ, of our Savior, of our Lord cannot be tempted. You cannot tempt God, God does not get hungry. God does not get thirsty. God cannot be tempted. But the humanity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who went into that moment of temptation for 40 days perfect, sinless, and blameless. We'll find out later. Comes out of that sinless, perfect, and blameless. He did what you couldn't do, what I couldn't do, but the humanity of our Lord. It's it's vital that we understand that Jesus walked on this earth so that you and I could have a perfect example and that even in our humanity, take this with you, that you could go into a season of temptation, even for 40 days, and come out victoriously. You do not have to fail when temptation comes. You can be victorious. And the Lord does this by quoting scripture. I looked this week some at the actual verses that Jesus quotes. And then I looked at some of the verses, the one verse especially that I find in Psalms, that Satan quotes back to Jesus. This is a temptation like you and I have never faced before. This is temptation on a level that we will never understand. Uh, you have never been tempted by Satan himself. You have been tempted by number one, your own sin nature that you carry with you, the flesh that we war against daily. Why Apostle Paul said I die daily, I must decrease that he might increase. That, that carries out in its own uh, opportunities and its own faculties our flesh. But then there is an element of spiritual warfare where we fight against, we war against not flesh and blood, but Ephesians 6 gives us those four levels of Satan's government that does tear against God's people, that tears against humanity. And in our humanity, what we talked about and what we proved emphatically last week is that human beings must pray. If Jesus was a man who carried A great prayer life. We talked about those prayers that he prayed. We talked about the instances. Brother Ed, I saw a text this afternoon. Looks like you might have found a couple of more than even I did in my study. Uh, The Gospel of Luke is full of instances where Jesus prays. He had an incredible prayer life. And we talked about that individually last week. We talked about the importance of that. There's a reason that Jesus was able to return into Galilee after being tempted in power, according to the Bible. So the humanity of our Lord and Savior, his prayer life. We need to take that with us from last week. I wanted to just quickly review that. I want to put that in your thought. I want to put that in your mind as we go through this. Now, This pattern of darkness, I want you to do this this week. I want you to go find great moments, places where Jesus healed in the Gospels, places where Jesus preached and people were changed, uh, places where Jesus even uh, brought people back to life in his earthly ministry, and watch what follows. It's a pattern. And in the day that we're living in with uh, the culture that we're living in, When we have services like we did, uh, let's say, Sunday morning of Jubilee, who remembers that service? Don't want to forget it. I remember putting my back on that back curtain and just watching God do what God does. I don't want to forget it, but I remember that Monday too. I remember that Monday that came. I remember some of the things that were said by spectators because of what God had done. You'll always be able to track this pattern, I think, even more in the day and hour that we're living in because if the devil can, he's going to discourage you from leaning into what God did for you on Sunday morning or what God did for you on Sunday night in your personal prayer and your personal study. No matter what experience you have with God, if God does something for you, what's to follow is an attack to rob you of that. It's spiritual warfare. Now, If you're married in here, I want you to raise your hand. All the married folks, raise your hand. Okay? If you love someone that's married, raise your hand. If you love someone that's married. Okay? I think that's almost everybody here. If you need somebody to love, I'm married. (laughs) There is something very special between a man and a woman who are married that know what it is to have a prayer life, not just individually, but corporately together in the marriage. A marriage that learns to pray together stays together. If the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity while on this earth in his ministry had to pray, and if we need to pray individually, and if God has given us a helpmate, a soulmate to live with us and to do life with, then I promise you that those two must come together together. Not only with their individual prayer life, but together as a couple with a prayer life. There is a great need there. It's a wide open plane, if you will, that if it's not happening, there's great issue that can come. Great separation that can come. A survey of 3,850 couples, Christian couples, 3,850 Christian couples, three thousand eight hundred and fifty 850 of them, uh, they found that praying together is a huge factor in marital happiness and success in that marriage. Among the couples who prayed together regularly, 68% were rated as highly connected. In other words, they were uh, really connected in the marriage, able to communicate able to be in the same room for five minutes without throwing something at each other. Ain't none of y'all. 68% said that their marriage was highly connected, highly successful, compared to only 21% of those who did not pray together or much at all. I love statistics. I love data. I love the truth. I love the bottom line. I just love it. I love that statistics can even show us something spiritual here. That if you pray together, you're at almost a 70 percentile that you would identify your marriage as successful, happy, and connected. According to the Bible... According to what God's Word says, the Christian life, our walk of faith, is pivotal. It's it's vital that we pray. We are commanded time after time to pray. Jesus, in his prayer life as a man, lays the groundwork for the expectation in our lives to pray. And prayer can happen in many places, in many circumstances, in many situations. You can pray at meals. You can take problems and issues to the Lord. You can use prayer as a moment of of worry and doubt and fear that you would take that and pray about it together. There's many places you can pray. I hope that you pray before you make a big financial decision. If you're gonna borrow $100,000, get with your spouse and pray about it. If you're gonna buy a new car in this economy, Get together and pray about it. If you're going to change your kids' schools, pray about it. Christians, sometimes if we leave prayer out of our personal lives, then we'll go into our life as a couple, married life. And the knee-jerk reaction will be to do just that, make the knee-jerk reaction, rather than saying, Lord, we're going to slow this thing down for a minute and we're going to ask you what your opinion is of this decision we're making I I know so many people who have made the decision to move to a new state or move to a new county or or move to a new part of the world even for a job or for what they think is greener pastures. And six or seven months later, they give you a phone call and they say, to God, I wish I could come home. Well, did you pray about it before you moved your whole family out there? Well, no. Well, that's probably a problem. Including the Lord in our internal dialogue in the home is very important. And you say, well, I'm not married or I'm divorced or I'm a widow or I'm a widower or I'm here today and my spouse doesn't love the Lord. They're not saved. This is a great place for you to learn what you can pray for. If you have children or grandchildren, you can pray that God will send them the right mate to marry that will pray with them. Christians must pray, not only individually, but together in the marriage. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. It's part of our lifestyle. The, the, what I'm asking God to help me with, what I'm asking God to do in my heart, is Lord, I wanna get in the habit where the knee-jerk reaction, my snap response, is not to simply come up with what I think is best, but to slow down long enough to talk to Miranda and pray about it. I want to be in that habit. I, I don't want to make some decision. I don't want to just say whatever comes to mind. Good Lord, that can get us in a mess quick. Everybody say amen. amen. Our mouths, our ways, our desires, our wants. Ooh, you talking about a mess. Oh, I made one even this weekend. You got to let that mouth slow down long enough to come up with what the Lord wants you to say. You see, ladies are so tender. They're precious. They're the heart of the home. They're also the neck that turns the head, left or right. But do you know that the way I respond to Miranda, even though it's nearly impossible for her to do this, but if she were to make me angry, do you know that I need the Lord God to help me respond in the right way? I need him desperately because if I come up with the response, if I just let it fly, whatever comes out of my six-shooter, kapow! You know what it's going to do, you know do to my, my sweet, tender little bride? It's going to hurt her. It's going to cause separation and strife. It's a really important thing that we learn to talk to each other, communicate with each other in a prayerful manner. Well, you say, that's not reality. We've got children. We've got bills to pay. We've got life. Put Jesus in the center of it. Go after his desires for your family and your life and let him be in the conversation. Pray without ceasing. Allow Christ to be in all of those conversations about business, about money, about moves. It's vital that marriages learn to pray together. For a Christian, your salvation was the most intimate moment in your entire life. Do you realize that? Your salvation, the moment that Christ came into your life, that the Holy Ghost of God open your blind mind that you could see Christ. The moment that you were saved, that very moment was the most intimate moment of your entire life. The most intimate moment was the moment that Jesus set you free. There is nothing on this earth, there is nothing within the carnal nature of man that can replace or emulate the intimacy Of that moment when your heart was set free for all eternity. That was the most intimate moment of your entire life. And when you pray and when you seek the face of the Lord and you understand what prayer really is, it's a continuation of that intimacy that you get to talk, that you get to communicate, and that He loves you enough to listen, and that He loves you enough to even know what you need before you ask. It's a continuation of intimacy. So how does that translate? What does that mean for my marriage? More intimate than anything the two in the marriage can experience. More intimate than anything that I can experience as a man and my wife as a woman is the intimacy that we can experience in the presence of God together. Did you hear what I said? The most intimate thing that we can experience as a couple is nothing within our understanding. Rather, the most intimate thing that we can possibly have access to in this life is not a weekend in Pigeon Forge. Rather, it's our 35 seconds, if that's all it is for the day, if it's all that we can come up with, that 35 seconds where we are together in the presence of the Lord in prayer, seeking his face, if that's all it is, that's the most intimate thing I could ever experience with my wife is to be in the presence of the Lord with my wife as we both communicate together with him. Praying together as a couple is one of the most beautiful things you could ever experience in this life as people. Prayer in your marriage is three things and then we'll go home. Number one, it's covenant concrete. Covenant concrete. I like that. I like the way it sounds. Covenant concrete. Your marriage at its core is a covenant between your husband, your wife, whoever you are, The promise that you made as husband and wife, the covenant that you made, not just with each other, but with God. That is the essence of your marriage. A promise was made not only to each other, but the promise was made to each other and to God himself. You weren't married the moment you signed the Buncombe County Marriage Certificate. You weren't married the moment that your arms crossed and you're drinking the cider at the fellowship hall. That's not the moment. The moment is when you came before the Lord in prayer, in that ceremony. Uh, Let me remind you of something. Weddings are church services. Those are holy transactions between a man, a woman, and God himself. And it was a covenant that was made that I will love you and I will cherish you in sickness and in health and I will be there for you and forsake all others. So help me, God. I'm after you, girl, and you only. I'm after you, boy, and you only. And with this ring, I thee wed in front of all these people, my friends, my family, and at the very tippity-top of the list in front of God, Him, Why do you think the devil so loves adultery? Why does he so love infidelity in a marriage? Why? Because it robs God of glory and it breaks a promise between man and woman and God. But when you pray together as a couple and you go into the presence of the Lord and you say, Lord, please touch Miranda today. God, I pray that you would keep my wife, protect my wife, use my wife. She belongs to you today. Use her for your glory. Give her the desires of her heart. Protect her as she drives on the road in Jesus' name. If that's all it is, that is concrete for the covenant that you made with God. That Miranda knows that I pray for her is more important than how much money I can give her to spend when she goes shopping. There are some things more precious than money, more precious than jewels, more precious than a big retirement account. And that's the prayer that you can pray for your spouse. Covenant concrete. And every time I pray with Miranda, it's an instant reminder to us both Of what we promised God in that old building in 2014, the day that I said I'd do. It's concrete. It's a reminder of the sacrifice that not only the Lord made, but that I am to make as the husband. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a reminder every time I pray and go into his presence. Covenant concrete, shoring up the foundation of that marriage. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. If you're married here, you love someone that's married. If you are a part of someone's life, love them enough to pray for their marriage. Pray for their spouse to come Uh, Because the Bible is very clear that Satan knows your weaknesses. The enemy knows where your soft spot is. He is very acutely aware of the things that would turn your head, distract you, or cause you to fall. The enemy is very wise. Our flesh is like a magnet For those evil things. We so desire it, it's just part of who we are. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Safeguard your marriage with prayer. Ask the Lord to protect your mind in front of your wife. Ask the Lord to protect every text message, every Facebook message every flirty inquiry at work that shouldn't be happening. It's very interesting when we introduce prayer into the marriage, what happens. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, the Bible says. Number one, it's covenant concrete, shoring up that promise. Secondly, it's a secret safeguard. Secrets in a marriage have no business in that marriage. There's There's a saying... It's one of the first things I learned when I was in Mexico as a child and Costa Rica as a teenager. One of the first things I learned to say in Spanish was, Secretos de dos no son de Dios. Say it with me. (laughs) Secretos de dos no son de Dios. It means, roughly, secrets of two are not of God. Sounds so much better in Spanish, doesn't it? Secretos de dos no son de Dios. There's a reason, there's a reason that we are so good as human beings in concealing our actions. We're set up, we're programmed for that. Look at the story of Cain killing Abel. We are set up, that is our disposition, to do wrong and then to conceal it. And if you're in the habit with little things, hiding small things in your marriage, if you're not careful, those things will begin to grow, begin to expand. And next thing you know, you don't recognize the person you're looking at in the mirror. And see, secrets always rob Peter to pay Paul. It always gives a little here and takes a little there and before you know it, you've got a spaghetti dinner that you can't follow one single line of what you said and it makes you a fool, it makes you a liar and it breaks your spouse's heart. Secretos de dos no son de Dios. They're not godly in a marriage. But when I pray with my wife and here's what we're gonna talk about at the end, there's a, there's a real uh, setup here of how to do this. But praying together, and here's, woo, you talk about real. This is rubber meeting the road. When I pray, and Miranda's in front of me, no matter how good I put on my senior pastor church face, I make it about 13.6 seconds, and then I'm spilling my guts. Lord, I didn't want her to hear all that. Oh, what a wonderful thing that my spouse knows what I'm dealing with on the inside. It's a secret safeguard. When I pray together with Miranda, it always somehow brings out the truth of what I'm feeling when she's going through a battle, when she's going through a struggle and I look at her at, at morning coffee and I say, honey, are you okay? And she says, yes, honey, I'm fine. Baby, I'm good. We're good. Everything's fine. And then we move on with our day and then it's time to pray before we leave the house. And I'm praying with my spouse and we're holding hands and we're standing there and we're praying together. I can, I can pray first. Lord, touch her. Lord, keep her. Use her. Pray whatever's on my heart and move on. And then it's her turn to pray, and then she prays, and in 2.6 seconds, I can hear something in her voice and know that something's not right. The red flag starts flying real fast, and I'll go, Whew. She's hurting. She's struggling with something. Something is gripping her heart, and I'm not really sure what it is. Did somebody hurt her feelings? Did I hurt her feelings? Is she stressed about something that I don't even know about? The red flag instantly goes off. And what I usually find is when she's struggling and she's taking it to the Lord, I just get to sit there and listen to her communicate with God. But because we're married, I'm allowed to be in that moment of intimacy. And God allows me to hear what's really going on in my wife's heart. And I get the intelligence report straight from heaven that boy, you better not leave the house until you figure out what's going on with your wife. And I investigate it like Sherlock Holmes. And I don't leave my home until I know my girl's okay. It is a safeguard that you can't even imagine for your life. If I know she's hurting, if I know she's lonely, and I hear it in her voice as she prays, then you know what my job is? You know what my first task, my duty, the greatest ministry that I have is not what's behind here. It's what sits on the front row every Sunday morning. That's my first ministry. Miranda's the greatest ministry I'll ever have. I may preach to millions of people, But if I lose the greatest gift that God's ever given me outside my salvation, then what's the point? He said, love Miranda as Jesus loved the church. If it requires your life, that's manhood. That's being tough. It's being willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for the one that God's given you. And the devil plays games and before you know it, you don't recognize the person you are. You don't recognize the things you do. And that is the plan, that is the device that Satan used to bust up Christian marriages even inside the church. You know why the divorce rate in churches in America is so high? Because the prayer rate inside marriages in America in churches is so low. Weak men who refuse to pray for their women and their children. That's the problem. You say, that's too harsh. We're losing the home. We're losing the home. If you won't pray for your wife, then who's going to? If you won't pray for your husband, then who's going to? The marriage that prays together stays together. Statistics show it. God's word upholds it. It's covenant concrete, it's secret safeguard. It brings the truth out every time. The ultimate communication tool for your marriage is not a therapist, it's actually talking to your spouse and then praying with the Lord together. Covenant concrete, secret safeguard. And thirdly and lastly, it's divorce defense. It's divorce defense. I don't believe we have any very young or impressionable, but we'll be very careful. Adults, listen to me. Your marriage is in desperate need of boundaries. There must be boundaries. There has to be fencing and safeguards that protect the husband and that protect the wife from sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity. There's got to be a safeguard somewhere. And if you think you're above Satan using something as simple as a cell phone, To rob you and your family, to destroy your family, you're living in an ulterior universe that does not exist. There should be no time and no place for a Christian family. I'm not talking about folks that are in the world, I'm talking about a Christian family that loves God. My wife knows the password to my phone. Boy, it got quiet. My wife knows the password to my phone. She has the right, as the queen of the nest, to look at every text message, to look at the call log, to listen to the voicemails, to go to my email, to go to anything that's on my stinking phone. It's hers, it's her territory. Remember, I made a covenant to God to forsake all others and to love her. It's hers. And if you feel the need as a married person to have your personal space you might want to check yourself Amen. something's not right Amen. Uh-oh something stinks Amen. The devil don't play fair church I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're a choir member. I don't care if you're a pastor. Your spouse better have access to your device that's connected to the wicked, wicked world called the internet. There must be boundaries. There must be a fence. If there's someone at work that catches your eye, if there's someone at your gym that loves to ask you about the routine you're doing. Uh Maybe go to a different gym. Work out at home, get you a Bowflex. Asked to be transferred to a different department. Or, or dare may I say, go to that person as a Christian and say, ma'am, with all the love in my heart, sir, with all the love in my heart, I'm a married man, I'm a married woman, and I don't appreciate the way you talk to me, it makes me uncomfortable. Amen. What happened to the truth in protecting what God gave you? Divorce defense. A lot of this is common sense. And it's a lot harder to go to work or go to the gym or go to wherever it is you go and flirt with someone that's not your husband, flirt with someone that's not your wife, if right before you left the house to go to work, to go to the gym, you had your morning prayer with your spouse. I love getting in the truck and I take my hands and I go like this. I can smell her perfume on my hands where we've just held hands and prayed together. It's holy. She's mine. And I want God to protect our marriage. And I want him to protect your marriage. You say, well, I've been married for 30 years. Nobody wants me. Nobody cares. We ain't even going down that road. Don't worry about that. You might be surprised what the devil has waiting for you. Some of the most precious people I know have been duped by idiots on Facebook. Just because you went to high school with them doesn't mean you need to connect with them again. You're out of high school. Start acting like it. It's foolishness. Divorce defense. And this has to be practical because we have to do it. Practical Christian living. If you want to write these down, these are just from some personal experience. Find time when you're together every day or almost every day. For Miranda and I, do we do it every day? No, I can't stand here and say that. It's practical Christian living. There are days that I fail to do this, but I want to make those fewer and fewer the older I get. But find the time when you're together every day. There's got to be somewhere where your paths cross. Make that the time that you pray together as a couple. Each of you pray out loud. Husbands, don't don't just pray and say, well, we're done. Let her pray. You say, well, my wife's not going to pray out loud. Break the ice. Just start with what you're thankful for and the rest will come. But each of you pray out loud. Uh, Pray for it all. Pray for it all. If it bothers you, tell the Lord. If it's hurting you, tell the Lord. If it's concerning you, tell the Lord. If your kid needs something and you don't have the money to give it to him, tell the Lord together. Call a business meeting with God and tell him, Lord, our home needs more financial resources to give to our children what they need. Watch and see what the Lord does. We have not because we ask not. Pray for your spouse, pray for your children, pray for your family, and pray for your church. Pray for those that you come to church with. Take the church bulletin home that has the prayer list and pray over it together. And then husbands, leaders of the homes, I love to end that time of prayer with a declaration as for me and for my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. I can't control what other people do. I can't control the world and what they do, but I can control what goes on in my home. And as for me and for my house and for my wife, we will serve the Lord. No questions asked. It's just part of who we are. Don't you love the Lord? Aren't you thankful for your spouse tonight? Do you love your hubby? you love your wife? Here's what I want us to do. We got to go. But I want us to stand. And if your spouse is here with you, I want you to join hands together. And let's stand all over the building. Take their hand. Some of you haven't done this in a while. It's be good for you. You might go get ice cream after all this. You went to church and then you went on a date. Hey. You better be thankful that your spouse is still here. There's some folks in this room that love to be standing there with their spouse hand in hand. They're either in heaven or they're not here. Thank God for the one that you have in your hand. Many of you have spouses working next door. You can pray for them now. We'll end with a song on the piano playing softly. I just want us to go into the presence of the Lord. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to pray for your spouse out loud by name. I'm going to pray right here. I'm going to turn my mic off and I'm going to pray for Miranda who's next door to the teenagers. I'm going to ask God to touch her this week, to give her something special. I want her to love Jesus more than she loves me, than she loves anything in this world. I want him to encourage her this week. I want him to give her something that only he can give her. I want you to pray that for your spouse. You say, I've never prayed for my spouse. Boy, we're gonna break the ice tonight because remember, this is our charge to the church. On Sunday nights, this is gonna be Trinity all over Western North Carolina, lower uh, uh, South Carolina, upstate South Carolina, East Tennessee, houses all over. The Southeast, folks holding hands, praying, asking God to touch their homes. And tonight we're going to break the ice.